Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. I'm thrilled that it's Monday. The weather's spectacular, I have to say, uh, for the 23rd of September. These are the days we start to think about when it comes to fall, where the breeze is warm yet cool, the sun is shining, the sky is blue, and if you're not in a good mood on a day like this, eh, the wiring might be a little off. Just saying, Okay. Go out and take in some of that fresh fall air, because uh, if you live in the upper Midwest, you know what's coming. And if you're a winter person, unlike me, um, I'm kind of an avid indoorsman. I just like uh, indoors, but not on days like this. I like to get outside. All right. Uh, Patrick Albanese, my friend, is going to be joining me in just a minute. And then a guy who has written a book called Letters from Jesus Studies from the Seven Churches of Revelation, Greek for the Week. I think that's he's got a podcast called Greek for the Week. And he's Reverend Chris Palmer. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, He's going to help us get into the Greek, which I'm looking forward to. But let's start with a passage out of Lamentations in chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So in 60 seconds, we'll be back with Patrick Albanese. What do I want for my kids? I don't know, but I certainly don't want them to be people of character, give me grandkids, and find fulfillment in what they do each day. Said no parent ever. As our Heavenly Father, God has great plans for you, and He can make it happen. That's the basis of our hope. When you give to Faith Radio, you're supporting this movement of hope, giving brighter futures to all who hear. Find out more and give today at MyFaithRadio.com. Pointing to our source of hope. Jesus is our firm foundation and hope for the future. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. You know, Mondays are always a day I love because I invite Patrick Albanese to the show. He is my opening leadoff uh, guest every Monday from the great state of Iowa in the prestigious town of West Des Moines. Patrick, welcome to the show. Well, uh, thank you. I'm 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 in a good mood at this exact moment because today was the day where there was an article in the paper that said coffee is good for you. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when that day happens, because, you know, tomorrow there'll be one that says, whoa, we, we, we take that back. You know, yeah, it's, it's like I always say, new study finds old study wrong. Exactly. 
Because yeah. that's usually what it is. Because you remember when butter was bad for you. Now you're supposed to have butter, grass-fed butter, of course. Not only that, you're supposed to have butter in your coffee. I know. So that's called power coffee or something. Uh, and it's yeah. actually very good. It is pretty good, but it has to be this special something from Ireland or something like that from organic cows. I yes. decided. Coconuts that have been extracted from the Ukraine. It turns out it's expensive. (laughs) It is very expensive. Now, I know you had kind of a busy weekend. You uh, went to your high school reunion. I'm not going to suggest what number it was, but let's just say it was somewhere in the 40s. No, 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 no. It was the 10th anniversary of my 30th reunion. (laughs) There you go. I knew it was something like that. What was that like? How did you fit in? Uh, You know something? It it was strange and cool. You know, I left town... Um, shortly after graduating from high school, yeah, I think it was that evening and uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I grew up in the Chicago area, which is a wonderful, you know, the suburbs of Chicago are wonderful, you know, but at the time it's, I, I didn't like the winters and I just wanted to be done with it all and get out of there. And so it, it was a lot of people I, I didn't have a ton of contact with over the years and, and it's, the 40 year is kind of interesting because they had on, they built a website and for the picture, they had the 20 year reunion picture of everybody, which coincidentally was the last reunion I went to and the only other one. And, uh, so I tried to use that as the guide. You know, you look at the 1979 yearbook, mm-hmm. look at the 20 year reunion and you're saying, okay, I see how Joe there's agent. I should be able to pick him out in a crowd. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a big oh, jump to 40, isn't it? It, it is, uh, you know, there was there was good and bad. It was it was hard to hear some of the sad stories of some of the trials and tribulations that people had been sure. through. And it's always good to hear the good stories, and you know, the the people that were kind of happy go lucky in high school. Wouldn't you know it? They were still happy go lucky. Uh, you know, my friend Paul finally got rid of the stutter, finally, <laughs> and I didn't want to ask because I was afraid it would trigger it. Yeah. It's probably to start smart. all over again. He's yeah. like, wait, 40 years, you know, was, that's, he, it was this guy who had the most amazing, beautiful singing voice, but he had this terrible stutter and it, it was actually, it was nerves. He was just so nervous around people and the singing gave him so much confidence that he beat the stutter. Isn't that wow. a great story? That's a great story. Uh, Jason Gray, he's a Christian musician, killer voice, still stutters as an adult. Yeah, and I, it's, uh, this guy, Paul, was, oh, what a beautiful voice. Um, we were in a talent show together. He mm-hmm. sang Rocky Raccoon. I did Magic. Okay. And first place went to Rocky Raccoon. Uh, it did not. They okay. didn't give out prizes. Okay. However. Uh, participation now, prizes? Uh, no participation okay. prizes. But when, they, when the theater, uh, the guy in charge of the theater, one of the teachers, wrote the review of the show, the review was two paragraphs long. One paragraph was for me. Oh, wow. And uh, it was really flattering. Nice. I was like, what the heck is this? Did they even know I exist? Send that over to me. I'll put it on the website. I, that's going to be hard to track down. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. Was there anyone sharing um, any stories of how their life has changed because of their faith? Did you get, have any of those kinds of experiences? Because I think at... 20 reunion, you, you talk about what you're doing, and at 40, you talk about sort of who you are. I think so. The, the, the focus goes from what are you doing to how are you doing. Yeah, good point. It, it's, it's a big change. And I, I, I would say I didn't have any direct stories like, you know, somebody jumping in and saying, well, you know, uh, I found God and this is what happened. But, 
you know, growing up in the neighborhood, I did. Everybody was a member of the the local church, and I think you could still find the ones that are regular churchgoers. They often talked about it at the reunion, mm-hmm. and there were peppered in the conversations were always the you know, thank God, you know, I've been very fortunate. God okay. has blessed. You'd have a lot of that. Yeah, and it was you know. I don't know how many of these people I will reach out to and maintain some of the new found or refound contact. It was it was nice to do it. And I, you know, talking to some of the people that never left town, they stayed there and they've been there 40 years and they're almost apologetic for it, which I thought there's no reason to be apologetic. It's a wonderful place to raise kids. We turned out OK. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I, you know, I did realize, gosh, I go, but I remembered it just came crashing back to me. I said, well, you know, 40 years ago, I just couldn't wait to get out of town. Yeah. And I said, in a way I was wrong about it because my life would have gone whatever direction it was going to go. And I would have found a way and I would have, you know, probably had an, a fine life as well. But I realized I had to leave town to find out that I didn't have to leave town. If that makes any sense at all. Makes a ton of sense. And it's interesting because that group of people, that group of friends, they know your family. They probably knew your brother who has passed away. They knew your parents. So you you are in a a very interesting uh, blend of friends who have, who know your life history. Sure. I mean, I'm one of eight kids and that was average size. Yeah, I know. You know, there were people with 14, 11, you know, seven. There were, you know, the the people with like four kids, you'd say, what's with you amateurs? (laughs) Don't you like people? You're not <laughs> you're not trying very hard here, but uh, of course you know your siblings went to school with their siblings, or you know you'd run into somebody and says, "Well, my brother dated your sister," and you know you go, "That's right, your brother did date my sister," <laughs> and you know it was I as many questions as I had about me, I would have similar questions about my siblings because there'd be people says, "Well, you know I used to like one woman comes up to me and says, "I have to get your picture to uh, bring to Cindy." out in Los Angeles, and I remembered who Cindy was because she used to date my brother. And I was like, why does Cindy want my picture? <laughs> but I remember that's why, well, we used to spend a lot of time together. That's right, she dated my brother. And yeah. she just, uh, you know, my brother passed away back in 92. So uh, she was pretty devastated by that. They were back when they were dating. And, mm-hmm. and uh, God, she just still wants to, you know, have memories of the Albanese family. That's, I it very, was that's very sweet. Patrick, let me take a little break. Patrick Albanese, of course, is my guest. Happy Monday as we get things started. We'll take a very short break and be right back. Back to the show. My guest Patrick Albanese is uh, always my Monday leadoff batter, and uh, we were just chatting before the break, Patrick, about your trip uh, to Chicago for your reunion. And mm. it's always—I uh, don't know if you're the nostalgic type or you just like to reminisce. Which one is it? Uh, I didn't used to be nostalgic, but that was so long ago. <laughs> I miss those days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I, I do tend to move on, which is, of course, it's really wonderful because I was always the person you could borrow a hundred dollars from, not pay it back and I'd forget about it. (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of sweet. Which is kind of sweet. And I always like things to be, you know, nice and calm and it it was neat to see, you know, some of these people and realize, I guess they were kind of my friends. I, you know, we didn't, we didn't stay in touch, but those are your intentions 
back then you write those really sweet messages in the yearbook. You're my best friend forever. Yeah. Thanks for all See, the answers oh, in math. Never change. Yes. You know, and uh, it was nice to hear you know, like a lot of them because I started so late uh, as a father. You know, they've got grandkids now that are the age of my kids. Mm -hmm. it, you know, because my kids are nine and ten. In fact, I had I had one of those parenting moments um, the other day. Because you, have, when, you know, you always have the older kid. And uh, so the 10 year old did one of those things where they they spoil things for the younger kid. You know, you don't want them to do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, the 10 year old lost a tooth. And my my younger son said, you know, you got to get that uh, that under a pillow. And the 10 year old says, you know what, there's there's no such thing as the tooth fairy. And I'm thinking to myself, I think I just say five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is this is actually good. <laughs> you know, five bucks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But it was, uh, you know, it's they're doing that with their grandkids. I'm I'm still doing it with my kids. So, yeah. So I know we always try to check in what went on over the weekend and see what's going on for the week. And it did, I did see that a celebrity chef died at age 44 from a heart attack. His uh, last meal uh, showed him enjoying pit beef and gravy covered fries. Oh my gosh. He was in mid bite. I take it. <laughs> yeah. Boy, you do have to be careful what you put in your I mouth. Know. I had a friend who had a, who had a, just a, a, a an acquaintance actually. Um, it was a magician that I knew, uh, back in my, uh, Hollywood days. And, uh, he was a very bright guy, but he, he believed that, uh, all the nutrition you needed was in a jar of peanut butter. And, uh, you could, he treated himself to hostess cupcakes as a dessert. I'm, I'm not making any of this up. And, uh, in his late forties, he was walking down Hollywood Boulevard and he died before he hit the pavement. Mm. of a massive, massive heart attack. And when some of the friends went over to clear out his apartment, it was peanut butter and Hostess cupcakes. He oh. wasn't kidding. That was what he ate. Well, he, he thought it, he's, <laughs> it was kind of like life's too short to waste on, you know, d uh, elaborate meals. This is all you need. And oh, I can boy. feel swiftly here. It's like, well, that didn't work out too well. Yeah. Well, when you talk about uh, pit beef, which I, I had to look up what that was, and I still can't figure out what it is, but um, interesting how eating meat could be banned like smoking, says a top lawyer in the UK. Really? For yeah. your own good? Well, because, you know, meat's destroying the planet. And we yeah. have to, you know, do, we have to criminal, criminalize anything or person that's causing global warming. And well, we had the, all, all the Democratic presidential candidates were here in Iowa over the, the weekend. And um, there, Tom Harkin, who was one of our senators for, for many, many years, every uh, right, right around Labor Day has a big uh, event where they raise money. It's a Democratic fundraiser. And all these Democrats are on record talking about, you know, altering your diet, watching what people eat, maybe cutting back on the beef. Well, it's a barbecue. <laughs> and they will <laughs> This is, this is real life. They grilled something like 15,000 pounds of beef, and they've got all, all these videos of all the presidential candidates who are telling you we have to watch the, the hamburgers and hot dogs, and they're flipping burgers and steaks and ribs. And I said, listen to you guys. I've got a feeling you mean me, not you. Yeah, it's usually the case. They, they want to control other people. I don't know. I mean, certainly the globe has, the temperature has increased. I guess I don't 
deny that or I understand that to be true. I guess what I wonder about is the consequences that could result from it that seem so dire and semi-hysterical. Yeah, I mean, in a way, you talk to some experts, they say, well, you know, a little bit warmer is actually pretty good because more plants grow, yes. more people get fed, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those plants, by the way, they eat, they consume the CO2. That's one of their food products. Right. They said, you know, generally, you know, a little warmer can be better than a little colder because in ice age, well, you don't grow much in an ice age. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can say, well, yeah, the, the, the planet's weather does tend to rise and fall as it has since the beginning of time. And it always seems to sort of come back to, I would like to know what is the ideal temperature? And don't you, you ultimately have, trust that God is in control of the weather? Yes. I think we're supposed to be obviously good stewards of what we've been handed, just like anything else in life, you know, where we're supposed to take care of our our, our body as our temple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in badly need of repair, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, turns out you got you to gotta fix the mortar every now and then. But yeah, so we're supposed to be stewards of things. That's that's great. But uh, I think one of the bad side effects with some of the restrictions they'd like to put on is it will definitely lead to more people suffering uh, around the world. Because what really, the Bjorn Lomborg, who's a climate guy who believes in global warming but doesn't think humans can have a ton of impact, thinks we should take money to help bring some of the other societies up to speed mm-hmm. so that you know, contributing greenhouse gases via burning, you know, exotic woods for warmth, but get them up to speed and and actually help people grow food and save lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it sounds like a really noble idea. Now, I don't like um, double standards. I don't think anybody does. You can I like s- triple standards. I I'm do. Working. I like yeah. those too. Yeah. But when you think of some of the things that have been said on the trail, on the campaign trail, and I don't really want to talk about politics too much today, but some of these um, these acts of potential violence uh, against the president seems like uh, the left should be referring to that as toxic masculinity if they're going to apply it to both sides. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's amazing you can make an actual threat to hit the president. Uh, you know, Madonna threatened to blow up the White House. Um, you, know, you get these various uh, people saying these things that are real threats. And you juxtapose those with things that people say, well, I feel threatened by what you said. And you said, all I said was I disagree with you. (laughs) You (laughs) I disagree. Uh, And we always get back to the Bible, don't we? That things have been written down. What's black is white. What's white is black. Up is down. And so we shouldn't be surprised really by any of it. But it's kind of disturbing how easily it goes unnoticed by the media that you go, I'm sorry, did did Cory Booker just threaten to punch the president? Because that seems newsworthy to me. We just have to make our peace with that's not going to get reported and not get upset about it. You know, there's too many. You can be upset about so many, many things. I would say you got to start to pick and choose because the bad guy in all of this would like us to be in a perpetual state of misery. Mm -hmm. And it would be very easy to achieve that if you follow all of these trails and say, well, I want to be upset about this and this and this and this. And you lose track, and we've talked about this in the past, it's one of my constant battles is I forget to be grateful for this wonderful life, the uh, number of blessings I have, and I can always look over there and say, he has more, I want that, this is, I'm not happy about this, and you say, look at you. And, and, And then you wonder why when you make a prayer to God, you know, please make things better, for me, you know, if, if I were God and, and I'm not, I, 
they didn't even take my application. But I would say, well, you're just, you're so ungrateful. I've given you so much and you, not only do you not say thank you, you complain about what you have. I don't know if I want to give you more. You know, you sound like one of those people I refer to as uh, normal. I, I, <laughs> I, I do my best. Oh, you just made me think of something, you know, because it was a, uh, did you see the box office thing? You know, you're going, Hey, Rambo number 12. Well, I don't even know what number they're on. It came out this week. No, I didn't. I didn't see the box office, but what about it? It got beat doubled. Uh, it only, only did half the screen average of Downton Abbey. That makes sense. I, I would believe that all day long because Downton yeah, Abbey now, is, a, is a good, great show, and there's a lot of people that want to go see that movie. Well, I'm actually looking forward to the Mel Brooks sequel, Downton Abbey Normal. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not surprised. Uh, I, I think that series, the Rambo series, has kind of run its course. And there's that, clearly yeah. so much explosion, violence, blood and guts. I don't know if people want to see that coming out of Grandpa. No. So think about this. I, and I just, I actually looked this up uh, to compare today's like what, what we do with movies today. Cause you say, I don't even know what's out in the movie theaters. I guess Rambo and Downton Abbey, but um, right around this, this time, 25 years ago. So 1994, the top movies come coming out of the summer going into September. I'm going to take a stab. No, nope. I'll, I'll give you the list. Okay. Forrest Gump, oh. Jurassic Park, Shawshank Redemption, Lion King, and Pulp Fiction. Those were all in the theaters at the same time. And now we've got Rambo and Downton Abbey. Yeah. And they're out of ideas. Sounds that way, I'd doesn't it? I say to Christians, there is an opening here to make some good, family, clean entertainment, Christian-based, because the box office is looking hankering for something wonderful. Yeah. Tell the story well. and uh, Tell the story well. Yeah. Now, Patrick, I just have about a minute left, which is all the time I want to spend talking about the NFL. But I saw yeah. some of the stands uh, at various games throughout the uh, the league, and they were half filled or half empty. Yeah. However it's, you want uh, to look yeah. at it. I think, you know, it, it, I'm sure, sure it'll pick up uh, as you're – if the for the fair weather friends anyway okay i mean it's uh, uh you know it's i i caught a little bit of it i i couldn't find anything on the radio i was driving home from chicago trying to find a game it was uh, exceedingly difficult it used to be you couldn't you know miss a game but it was it was hard to find yeah well the yeah. dog's barking so oh yeah he probably I'm wants sorry. to go out i will uh i will relieve you of your duty thank you so much for doing the show well, I want to point you out one thing. This okay. is something, just an idea for you. Okay. Uh, I read this recently. Muhammad Ali, do you know he used to train underwater? He used to train underwater. That would help him increase his speed. Okay. Just thinking maybe you want to try that for your next radio gig. Just. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I will talk to the technician here to see if I can do that. All right. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Patrick. Patrick Albanese is my guest, my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines. We'll take a short break and be right back.
So glad you're with me today. I hope you've had a good weekend, and I hope you're enjoying today's spectacular weather. If you're in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, we're loving it here. And I hope wherever you are, you're enjoying it as well. It's, uh, I love fall. So I love Mondays, too. We're going to get a chance to understand uh, Greek a little bit better today. That's something that is uh, essential if you're studying God's Word, that you you can know how to reference the Greek words, and you can get to the origin of them, and you can find out what things mean in their original context. And my guest uh, on the program today is Chris Palmer. He's written a book called Letters from Jesus, Studies from the Seven Churches of Revelation. And I think we got him on the line. Hey, Bill, thanks so much for having me, and uh, sorry about the technical difficulties there. No problem, no problem. Chris, safe to say that uh, Greek was the the most fully developed language in the history of mankind when Jesus was on earth? Yeah, you know, that was the lingua franca of the day, and uh, everyone was speaking it. And uh, even though Jesus spoke Aramaic, it's very safe to assume, uh, almost 100%, well, we could say 100% that he actually knew it. And uh, that's the that's the language that, that the Lord chose to have uh, through the Holy Spirit, the New Testament come to us in. And uh, that's how it arrived. And it's a it's a very wonderful language, and it really opens up to us the Word of God um, when we get into it. So it's a benefit for people to study it at any level. Yeah, just like um, God, though, to to pick the most fully developed language in the history of mankind to be giving and delivering His Word at that time. Yep, that's yeah. exactly right, and that's and it brought cultures together. People that spoke different languages, they all spoke Greek, so. It was a common language exchanged in the marketplace that people could all speak and cultures could come together. And that's the Word of God. It brings cultures together, brings people together so everybody can understand it. Yeah. Now, this is a subject you got real excited about real young, didn't you? Absolutely. I was, uh, well, you know, if I'm 35 now, so probably around 22, I actually tried <laughs> to put Greek off, you know, <laughs> when I was in my, my undergrad. I tried to put it off to my last semester. Wish I never would have done that because come my last semester— I fell in love with it, picked it back up, and have been have been studying ever since 2006. Mm-hmm. All right, let's chat a little bit about the book. Um, tell me uh, the the design of the book. Yeah. Okay, so Greek for the Week uh, began as an Instagram platform. Every week I would take, you know, I was finding these really phenomenal preaching insights that we could get from the Greek, and we were losing nuances because if, if you've ever studied a language before, you understand that the language doesn't, always come over word for word. For instance, if you say, hi, or how are you? There's three words in English, how are you? Um, Italian, which I know pretty decently, come stai. you have two words, so you don't quite have a word for word translation. That's the same with the Greek. Because of that, there are nuances that are missed in the Greek. And so I was pulling those out once a week uh, on my Instagram. And then I said, you know, let's, we started working with Whitaker House to do a book. And I said, let's do 52 studies from the seven churches of Revelation, because you really don't see on social media anybody quoting really anything from the second, third chapter of Revelation because the message that Jesus gives the church is extremely sobering, but it's also uplifting, but sobering. And I said this would be a great place to do a study because we find seven churches from the New Testament that, you know, we really don't hear a lot about, minus Ephesus. And, uh, you know, you, you have Smyrna, Pergamum, Laodicea, uh, as well as some others in Philadelphia, Sardis, and we just said that would be a great idea, so I started working through them exegetically, looking at the Greek nuances, and put them in a 52-week uh, study. You could do it 52-day study, um, working through 
each of the seven churches uh, verse by verse. And, you know, for instance, uh, when you come to the church at Ephesus, studies on love, Smyrna, studies on endurance, Pergamum, studies on worldview, Thyatira, holiness, Sardis, the Holy Spirit, uh, Philadelphia, Christian living, and Laodicea, studies on faithfulness. It just really gives you a broad picture of Christ's message to us today in 21st century. What I say in the book is that when you study this message, you begin to find out, even though they're 2,000 years removed, you see that what they're dealing with back then is the exact same things that all of us deal with today. And you either identify with one of these churches or you find a little of yourself in all of the churches. Yeah, Chris, that's fantastic. And it is so like God's Word that is so relevant to today, um, even after so many culture shifts. Absolutely. It's 2,000 years removed, and it's the exact—I mean, we have iPhones now, we have Skype, we have everything, but we find the exact same issues that they had back then we're dealing with today. Yeah. No doubt about it. So, Chris, let's say, you know, I want to do my own in-depth study of Scripture. You know, sell me on the idea that Greek is just the perfect language for that. Uh, Where do I I begin with this? I know. It's kind of a big question for a guy who loves Greek. Right, right. So, um, first of all, it's the original language. And, okay, here's what, I, here's what I'll start with. Okay, in, in English, we're so used to right-branching sentences. I mean, if I said, Bill uh, went to the store, and you understand who the subject of the sentence is because it starts from the left to the right. The subject, the, the subject of the sentence is not the store. We're talking about Bill. So, Bill is the subject because that's the first word to the left. And then the verb usually follows right after that. So, there it is, Bill went. So, there's the verb went. And then, you know, you have the direct object, which is the story. So, that's receiving the action of the verb. Okay, so that's how we identify it. Greek, there's no such thing as a word order. You can say, store went Bill. Or if you make a more <laughs> complex sentence, you know, uh, store went Bill, um, milk, eggs. So, now it's like, how do you understand that? And when there's no word order, but the unique thing about that is, is that because there was no typeface back in those days and there was no bold or italics, the authors would use word order to emphasize things. So if they really wanted to emphasize what Bill bought at the store, they really wanted to emphasize that he went to the store and he bought uh, his favorite cereal. They might say cereal store Bill went bought and you'd say, wow, so maybe what's next in this passage it's going to go on to talk about Captain Crunch cereal is the grape cereal nuts. that's right there, grape you know? Nuts. And so, yeah, grape nuts. Okay, yeah. so there you go. <laughs> okay, good. Now we got that. Did your, your audience up to this time, they may have never known your favorite cereal. Now right, right, they exactly. <laughs> but it sounds like you're so, talking like Tarzan. Bill goes to Right, Tarzan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or Yoda, right? <laughs> so... There you go. So, uh, so that's that's a great thing. So you start to see these things, and uh, Jesus really, you know, in in Revelation two and three, he puts a lot of these in there. But the problem is, is that when you get into Greek, you start to say, "Oh, Greek, I can't understand that." And a lot of Greek books, Greek grammars, are so complex. Uh, there's one that just came out. I really had a high aspirations for what I read. It said you got to really be master's level to understand it. So I said, in this book, I'm going to take all that tough stuff. I'm going to footnote it in the back. So that if you're a scholar, you can read it, you can enjoy it. But I'm going to make this book so simple that if you've never really studied Greek or been interested in Greek, you can learn it and say, wow, there's a lot in there. I've done the work for you so you can just enjoy it and read it on the beach somewhere if you'd like. I love that. I love that you suggested I read it on the beach. <laughs> what beach would that be? I know well, you're up in Minnesota somewhere. Yeah, so. it'd be Maui probably, somewhere. Kana, Poly yeah. Beach, that sounds kind of nice. I'd take your book there for sure. Oh, good. I'm, yeah. You know, I made it easy enough so you could read it and enjoy it right there on the beach somewhere. I love so. that. All right, let's uh, talk about maybe your favorite letter. What's uh, Do you have one that really speaks to you in a big way? Yeah, you know, so 
There are a lot in there. I mean, it depends where I'm, what I'm going through at the moment. I mean, it, it, so I'm going to answer your question. I'm not going to be a politician about this and avoid the question. I'm going to say Smyrna is probably my favorite one because Smyrna is going through a lot of persecution. And they're the, one of the two churches of the seven that Jesus doesn't rebuke. He actually continues them uh, and to, uh, exhorts them to uh, continue forward and not to be uh, discouraged and gives them a message to just continue forward and, and enduring what you're enduring. Um, but you know, then you have the Thyatirans. The Thyatirans are really dealing with a lot of difficulty with, uh, this woman that's coming to the church. Her name is Jezebel. She's trying to get them to relax their standards. And one thing I say is that, you know, Satan, he doesn't show up oftentimes in the church with a pitchfork and horns. What he tries to do is he comes through well-meaning, well-intentioned people trying to better the message of Christianity. And in doing so, the, the way the message they propagate is to relax our standards and to not live as holy as that we're living. And they're doing this to improve Christianity so that more people could be accepting of it, but it's displeasing to the Lord. Um, and then you have the Philadelphians. They're also a wonderful church that uh, was experiencing earthquakes at the time. And, and the Lord comes to them, encourages them, and tells them that he's going to make them a pillar, uh, stylos in the Greek, which means that they're not going to be moved. So basically what I say, Bill, is that there are three problems these churches are experiencing. Number one was the temptation to assimilate to the culture. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the main problems. Another one was the temptation to relax and be apathetic because they're experiencing success, like the Laodicean church. And the other one was they're being persecuted. So one of these three problems we're either facing at any point in our life. Either we're going through periods of success, and all of a sudden we want to be um, we become apathetic, stop going to church, stop praying, stop reading the Bible because things are going well, or we're just being persecuted by someone at the office. We're being challenged by family members because now we're becoming more and more close to Christ to call us radicals. Or you're experiencing, hey, maybe I should become more loose in my living, relaxed, and, and maybe I don't need to live as holy as I'm living. And depending on what you were going through, the, this is like kind of like the preface to the book of Revelation. It's how you're going to end up seeing the book of Revelation. So if you were a church that was experiencing persecution, uh, you'd see the book of Revelation as, hey, just hold on. Everything's going to get better, and you'd be encouraged by it. If you're assimilating the culture, you look at the book of Revelation, you might become fearful and, 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 and see the need to repent because of what's going to go, what you're going to end up going through. So it really is a great start to entering into John's visions for, in Revelation 4 to 22. Chris, what do you think— uh the church is getting attacked uh, by the most. Um, do you think that this, you talk about someone that comes in and says, Let, we can make the gospel better. Do you think that's yeah. the, the biggest um, threat to the church today? Yeah, I really do. Because, um, and I think that the early first century Christians would have said the exact same thing. I mean, it looks like the problems that they were facing were from within, not necessarily from without. And that is really what John attacked. And so I would say, that people that come in and, and say, hey, let's just be more tolerant. Let's, uh, it, it, it really started to strip people because I was just listening to you and Patrick on the other line there. And I was thinking this is that, you know, we have people today that want to suggest that I can't disagree with you without being called a bigot. You right. know, and today, if you, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, they call you hateful, they call you, you know, bigoted, they call you racist, they call you all kinds of things. And I think that has caused people in some people in the church to be, to be less bold and say, well, I don't want to be known as a bigot. I don't want to be known as hateful. And because we've kind of let up on those things for perhaps fear of being called what they want to call us, we've allowed people to come in. And now we see the, the topography of our church morally starting to change a little bit. 
and it's frightening. I think that's a big problem that we face. Um, so to answer your question, yes, things from within usually hurt it because all the heretics that we see in the New Testament, like Nicholas in the Pergamum Church, Nicholas was uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, historians and theologians believed he was the one who had hands laid on him by the apostles to go out as a deacon in the church. I mean, he started off as a minister, and then you, by the time we get to the book of Revelation, we see Nicholas, who was anointed to send out into ministry. He's now someone that's come along saying, hey, let's just throw uh, Christian living and morality to the side and let's live loose. He was a pre-Gnostic. He, he believed that you know, your flesh was bad. It was dying anyway. It was uh, it was unredeemable, uh, so it doesn't matter what you did with the flesh because God wasn't going to redeem it anyway. And so sexual practices, perverted practices, lying, things like this weren't the big deal. So you could just live like that because you're sinful anyway. So it's a big problem, and people in the church were being, were being taken captive by it. And that seems to be what Jesus was most uh, disappointed with uh, in the Pergamum Church. Yeah. So, yes. Chris, I'm enjoying getting to know you. Is there anything more exciting than the Word of God? Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe the Word of God on the beach in Maui. Ah, well, there you go. All right. Let me take a little break. Reverend Chris Palmer is my guest. His book is Letters from Jesus, Studies from the Seven Churches of Revelation. We'll take a short break and be back with Chris in just a minute. Chris Palmer is my guest. He got his uh, master's degree in exegetical theology from Moody, and he's written a number of books. The one we're chatting about today is Letters from Jesus, Studies from the Seven Churches of Revelation. So, Chris, uh, let's see, your your Greek for the Week podcast, what what is that? Tell me what goes on on your Greek for the Week. Well, you know, we, uh, so every week I post Grief of the Week on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. It's only a minute. And it's okay. only a minute because at that time, Facebook or Instagram was only letting you have a minute for a video. And then uh, some people would say, well, why don't you make it longer? I said, yeah, let's do that. So I turned it into a podcast. So it's just a 20 minute, 15, 20 minute extension of the, uh, of the Instagram. And it's essentially just one or two things from a verse. Uh, I point out perhaps a nuance in Greek or something that is noticeable in the Greek that's probably not as noticeable in the English or you may overlook and I build kind of a lesson around that and make it practical for your lifestyle okay. and it's pretty neat because preachers really find um, some nice preaching points in there as well yeah and my listeners are welcome to listen to that podcast after they've listened to every one of my podcasts <laughs> right hey you know Billy, I tell you what you're 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 the man so I'll, <laughs> I'll take it number two to you <laughs> yeah so tell me about the way the letters have influenced your your the way you preach at your home church yeah so you know, so it goes into Revelation. I mean, it really, it sets up Revelation. And so, and I've really talked to some other pastors about this. So I was just with a conference with some other pastors. They're asking me kind of the same thing about the book of Revelation. I said, you know, you really see in most churches, at least that I'm, in my experience, when you preach the book of Revelation, it's kind of like you have to do a series. And it's usually a series that is in your midweek service because you don't want to touch it on Sunday mornings because you're like, hey, there's a visitor's coming. And if we get into the book of Revelation, we talk about 666, the coming of the Antichrist, blood moons, you know, barcodes on your forehead, et cetera, et cetera. And who, so let's save this for Wednesday night. And then, and then if it's Wednesday night, you, you get it done with and you're like, hey, we're not touching Revelation for another two years until we come around to it again. And I just, 
to me, I'm like, hey, this is the, the one theologian calls Revelation the climax of prophecy. It's where the Old Testament, New Testament prophecy comes together, and it's the end of the book. And that's not really how I think the, the best way to treat the end of the most powerful book ever written, God's Word. It should be something that we mix and mingle into our sermons, but we just kind of don't really have an approach yet where we can do it that way. And so the letters kind of set up for us a uh, the different backgrounds of who would be reading the book of Revelation. And it's enabled me to see that Revelation isn't so much a conspiratory book about things that I, I do believe there's future fulfillment to it. Okay, so I'm not one of the people that think that this is all his, his historical stuff. But what I think is the telling of the story of a day in the life of a Christian. And it's, this is what you're going to experience as a Christian. And our hope is in Christ Jesus. We have to look to him. And in the process of doing that, Revelation is about confronting the culture, confronting political idolatry, confronting things that uh, is disappointing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and standing faithful to the Lamb, even when the culture around us is not doing that. And so we got to remember, we have it easy here in America. I mean, we're a Christian country, by and large, okay? I mean, we've experienced hundreds of years of just being under openness to Christianity. Um, and so a lot of countries haven't. So we've kind of looked at Revelation and said, hey, you know, it's going to get worse. It's just about to get worse. But in a lot of countries, it's been worse for a long time. Yes, in China preaching recently, it's been bad over there for a while. I mean, you go to some communist countries, have been in Eastern Europe preaching, you find out countries that have been under communism have been set back by it. They, they've been experiencing some of the suffering of Revelation as long as they've been under that. And so it's really helped me to engage my congregation to let them know that if things ever got really worse in this country, if the radical left agenda, if the radical agenda of, of, of you know, let, let's be tolerant, but yet not tolerant, what we see today gets a hold of us. This is what we're going to, this is our duty and our obligation as Christians is if they hate us, they hate us. It's not necessarily being provoking, but at the same sense, it's saying, hey, this is what God teaches, like it or not. And let's let's just continue to be faithful and good uh, good soldiers, and stay faithful to the Lamb. So that's kind of what the, the seven churches sets us up for. Okay, so Chris, maybe you would give us a couple of examples of some of your personal favorite uh, Bible translations from the Greek. Okay, so as far as which Bibles I recommend, like no, is, if you're no, them? no, just okay. uh, there's a you know you you read something and you go to the Greek and then you find the richness mm-hmm. in the Greek and you go oh this makes it just so amazing. Sure, absolutely. Okay, so uh, when we see, uh, for instance, uh, we'll go to the letters in Revelation chapter one verse twenty. Um, Jesus is talking and he tells them that I the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, uh, the seven stars of the seven churches. Then he says to the church in Ephesus the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, this is how he begins Revelation chapter one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, the one who holds. That Greek word there, holds, the tense that it's being used in, doesn't imply holding something uh, loosely like a pop can or maybe like your chapstick in your hand. It refers to holding something as tightly and as intensely as you possibly can, like you're squeezing the light out, life out of it. Mm. What he's telling you is that I'm about to give you rebuke. I'm about to give to you 
a um, uh, some things that I'm disappointed with you about. But I want you to know before you get that rebuke, I'm holding on to you real tightly. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to call it quits. I'm holding you, and I'm going to make sure that if you do what I say, that I don't give you up. That would have been really encouraging for the churches because they would have known that he's not letting us go. He's going to be there for us, and he's going to hold on. And I say in one lesson, you know, we have to have that persistence with our church or with our pastor or with the people that we have in our Christian associations, it's so easy that somebody falls, a Christian stumbles, and we just give them up to the world. We have to be faithful to our brothers and sisters the way Christ is faithful to us. Um, so uh, if I give you one more, probably one that kind of gets away from the letters, but it's in the book of Revelation, is Revelation chapter 21, 8. Now this is interesting, um, Bill, because... Uh, this kind of goes back to understanding the importance of of uh, what what God's word is saying. John was understanding that people were probably going to read his letter like they read the Old Testament. You have people that read it at different levels. Some people are going to read it and they're going to read it just kind of cursory and just casually. Some people are going to really study it. So he put rewards in there because he had a writing style. And so seven, we find in the book of Revelation, is a, is a number that was very important to Jewish. Uh, identity back then it was a number naming was seven times dipped in the river jordan uh seven days around seven times around the wall of jericho we see this uh seven days to create the earth so seven was a holy number and nothing that's important is listed in sevens in revelation chapter 21 8 at the end of it you see that there's a list given to people that were going to be excluded from the kingdom of god and we see in this list cowardly faithless detestable murderers sexual morals sorcerers idolaters liars in the greek there's eight that are listed okay so eight different classes of people that are excluded from the kingdom of God. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, as we go there, we open it up, we see another list, same list of people that are excluded from the kingdom of God. We see dogs, sorcerers, sexual immoral, murderers, idolaters, and any, everyone that loves and practices falsehood. The way it's looked in the Greek, they're just very simple words. We see that there's six that are listed. So anyone that was studying this would see that this list you see is eight and six, which falls on both sides of seven. So a reader would understand this very clearly as these are unholy things that have no place in the kingdom of God. And they'd see the seriousness in these sins and participating in these sins consistently or taking an attitude of tolerance for people that want to participate in them. And they'd want nothing to do with them. And so this is kind of reassuring at a deeper level, at a level that's kind of to the deeper reader to understand what God really thinks about this. And it really kind of uh, stabilizes your faith in God's Word to see that. Okay, Chris, I'm going to be calling you back for my Greek fix. This is great. <laughs> I'm this sorry. Been... I know I'm, I'm going on and I'm trying to give you a whole hour, but I appreciate you listening. But... <laughs> no, 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 we'll just we'll circle back. We'll do this again because this was fun. Chris Palmer has been my guest and his book is Letters from Jesus Studies from the Seven Churches of Revelation. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. It was an honor. Thank you so much, and God bless you and, and, and your technicians. Yeah, thanks so much. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.